Chapter one, take two. Do. Who am I? He murmured. I don't know. I have a feeling that I once knew, but does it matter? The singing voice answered. If questions you would ask of me, you must speak in poetry. For rhymeless talk that strikes my ear, I cannot hear, I cannot hear. Atreyu hadn't much practice in rhyming. This would be a difficult conversation, he thought, if the voice only understood poetry. He racked his brains for a while, then he came out with, I hope it isn't going too far, but could you tell me who you are? This time the voice answered at once. I hear you now, your words are clear, I understand as well as hear. And then confirming from a different direction it sang, I thank you, friend, for your goodwill, I'm glad that you have come to me. I am Uyulala, the voice of silence, in the palace of deep mystery. Awesome. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Oh my god, I thought it was hard. Chapter one, take two. I feel like singing it every time. A book to, A book to, to movie, movie review. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning I felt a bit like Crusty the Crab being like, hey hey <laughs> Tell us what this podcast is about. It is a podcast where we read the book and then watch the film and discuss whether or not we enjoyed the adaption. <laughs> sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Either way, it's fun to discuss and dream about, hopefully one day when we can make these films ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I would say most times we don't enjoy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, the written word is so beautiful and it's so powerful because it does literally translate different to everyone because of the story you tell in your own head. Yeah, and, and you spend more time with the characters when you're reading. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what, what book, what lovely book, enjoyable, fam- I'm sure by, by some of the things, because of how well-known this book is, I'm really building it up now, um, us talking about it, I'm sure will offend someone because it's so beloved uh, of something that we'll say. Mm. But anyway, what did we read uh, this week? This re- week? This week? It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a new word for you there. Words. Um... This week we did The NeverEnding Story by Michael End, translated by Ralph Mannheim. Michael and like, End. A little fun fact. So this is our second book that was written by a German author yeah. and translated into English. I was wondering about And this about is that. our third book within a book. Book. Book within a book. Third. Yeah. What were the other two? Princess Bride and Inkheart. And this is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really on the bu- we're really on the book with. The I book. feel like well, it's such an odd coincidence. And does that say something about the fantasy genre? Because mm. that's what this season is about. Mm. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, tell us a bit more about. Sorry, were you telling us about the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we watched a movie which was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang. Um, he also helped write the screenplay along with Herman Weigel. And it stars Barrett Oliver as Bastion and Noah Bastion Hathaway as a Atreyu. Bucks. Yes, great name. Great name. Um, and also Tammy Stronach as the childlike empress. I mean, it's it's mainly Bastion and mainly Atreyu, though. Mm. Were you going to say something about Atreyu? No. Okay. No? Uh, I saw you make a face, but that would have just been what I was saying. 
Oh yeah, I just, I'm just making faces. I just make faces. Mm. That's just what I every do. time because the director Wolfgang. Every time I read Wolfgang, I think of the character from Sense Eight. From Sense Eight, me too. <laughs> like that is Wolfgang. It must be. It must be a German name. Yeah, well, it must be. I've never in my life I would not have thought that that was a like a real legitimate name. Legitimate name. Yeah, like, like, it sounds like a fairy tale thing. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Cool. Well, I mean, a lot of fairy tales came out of Germany, so that's fair. That is true. And then America stole. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. So, Maddie. By the way, this is Maddie. Hey. And I'm Brianna. Yeah, you are. And uh, we are, you know, like, we're still early. This is still early. So, um, we forget basically... to mention our names. Yeah, and uh, um, we we are we are qualified because um, we read books and we watch movies and we have determined that that is all the qualification we need. Mm. And we're we're both women, so stereotypically we talk a lot, and so we talk about them. The things that we read and watch. Yeah, I can, I can, I can confirm that I do talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I can confirm I'm a woman. I can also I'll confirm, confirm that. that. <laughs> I can also confirm that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So, Betty, do you uh, do you want to say t- tell us a little bit about uh, about the Neverending Story book movie thing? Yep, I do, Brianna. Oh, Thank you. Before we move on, sorry. Um, <laughs> talk. No, don't talk. Or like so noobs. Um, it's great. It's comical. Comical. <laughs> comical. Yes, our mistakes are funny. That's the entire concept people of improv. People love laughing at other people's failures. So the movie grossed. Uh, yes, this 20, is what talking about. Oh my god. Just twenty. Uh, just over twenty million. Um, and uh, I don't know if that was like a box office success. I'm pretty sure it, it was. You know, like a lot of movies back then where it. It became the hit that it is today by VHS yeah. and like the nostalgia factor. Yeah. Um, but it is real, pretty well beloved. It's got like a, over seven on IMDb and it's eighty percent and eighty one percent, eighty percent critic score, eighty one percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. when did the book come out? A long time ago. <laughs> look at that. Look I'm gonna look. Maddie's just gonna talk for a second while I Google for a second because you know I'm good at googling. <laughs> Googly googly. Oh, oh the film was out. released July 20th, 1984. 1984. Haha, <laughs> much like the book. Ah. The book 1984, not the book The Never Ending Story. I'm finding with this podcast, we get lost a lot between whether we're discussing the film or the novel. And the, and the, the novel came out in 1979. So. 1979 and then made into a film 1984. Only five years later. That seems to be a trend. I feel like Inca was also just five years. Mm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it, it would have been a success then, so it would have been a following then. Makes sense to make it then. Mm. That's so old, though. 1984. You and I were literally negative. Ideas. Negative. Negative ideas. We were that's, negative that, ideas. That's not what I was saying. We, that is what you were saying. No, we were negative nine. Negative nine. Oh, you were doing math. I was t- slowly. But this is not that kind of podcast. No, no math. Sorry, just words. We're not mathematicians. Anyway, a brief summary of the movie. Um, basically, we follow young Bastian Balthazar Bucks. Uh, he re- finds never-ending story in a bookstore. Um, it's basically running away from his life to an attic in his school because he can't go home because he's now stolen the book. And he's in the attic. All are we presuming he's read the entire book in a day? Because even that is a feat. 
in itself. Anyway, reads the book, basically realizes that the never-ending story is actually involving him and following Atreyu and the crisis of the nothing, the nothing that is happening in the never-ending story where <laughs> it's coming for you. Ugh. They change it in the film to the emptiness, don't they? Uh, yes, following young Bastion, and basically the film ends with him entering the film with... I feel obliged to interrupt you and tell our listeners that I'm eating a marshmallow now. Eating a marshmallow? Yeah, you did. You just gulped it right out of that cup. Uh, yeah, so that's the basic gist. Following two young lads as they share an experience to save a young lady, if I'm going to summarize it in very few words. But it's lovely. The book is... Just so well written, so delightful. There's a reason we're still talking about it 40 years. Later, yep. yep. Later. So Bastion. Yes. Reads about Atreyu. Yes. Who goes on a journey. I just feel like the book's so well done, but yes. To save the childlike empress and all of Fantastica. Fantasia. Right, so it's Fantasia in the movie. It's Fantastica in the English translation. Thank you. I'm glad that that... Fantasia is actually a closer pronunciation of the German word. I'm super glad you brought that up because I never asked you while reading it because we try not to discuss the book too much before we do the podcast so we've got fresh ideas. But every time I read that, I was like, that's 100% a C. Yeah. Where is there a C at the end of Fantasia? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so uh, we can say either interchangeably, I think. I'm going to say Fantasia because Fantastica for me just sounds weird, weird and awkward to say. Uh, Bastion reads about Atreyu going on a journey to save the childlike empress and Fantasia from the nothing, which is, what is the nothing, Maddie? It is a force that is never defined to come from anything except it's the outside, sorry, this is literally me figuring out with you now. So nothing is the outside force of lies and them forgetting about stories. This is really more where the book is <sighs> philosophical. So, 100%. Yes. So, this is what does the nothing mean? The nothing is to- what is happening because the outside world, Bastion's world, has decided to stop believing in fairy tales, which is represented by Bastion's father saying, I think it's time for you to get your head out of the clouds. Yes, that is a key phrase that later on is one of the reasons Bastion... I have to keep my feet on the ground! <laughs> Bastion doesn't help the childlike empress right away because he literally says that quote. But I think that's really interesting because that's that's uh, Michael saying a lot about the world that we live in if he's writing a book about people forgetting about the importance of books. Yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. so that is the nothing. Great, now that we've defined it. Yes. And that is slowly encroaching over the entire kingdom of Fantasia and the childlike empress is dying because she needs to be renamed by a child in the human world, which is kind of... It's an analogy for the human world remembering about how important it is to read and have imagination Mm. and believe. Yeah, yeah. Because the childlike empress doesn't live in time, she lives in names. That's really good. Yeah, she lives in names, so... <laughs> I feel like it's obvious to say, but that's really good. Tell me, Maddie. <laughs> what? It, there's a big, gaping, mm. massive, mm. huge difference between the book and the movie. And mm. what is that? It might be the fact 
yes, I know that Brianna was pointing at the note. <laughs> I did notice that only the first half of the book is made into the film. So basically... The half of the book is gone. The, uh, the end of the book is gone. So Bastion gets to Fantasia, is greeted by the grain of sand gifted by the childlike empress and told to wish Fantasia back into existence. Oh my god. I'm sorry. As a child, I just always imagined they were still in the attic after school. No, they are not in the attic. They're in Fantasia. <laughs> and that she's just in the attic she's with in them. The, why would she come to I don't room? know. Yep. That doesn't make any sense. Yep. You're but, incorrect. You know, my imagination was lacking. Sorry. No, Sorry. You, you were just pulling them out. Yeah. But I love. Uh, yeah, and that is that is where the film ends. But the book has more to say, and I'm don't want to talk about the second film because <laughs> the in the movie it is true that Fantasia is built out of Bastion's wishes, and in the second half of the book we get the world. That Bastion builds from his wishes. Like yes. that we get the story of him building Fantasia. Which is awesome because naturally as a ten year old boy he goes a bit over the top and it is super interesting. And because of the lack of limitations that a book has, it just goes all over the show and it's such an entertaining thing to read, especially considering the contrast to the first half of the book where he's just in the attic, he's in that same location, he's a human, and then he goes to the second half of the book where it's just colour, new locations, new creatures that don't exist. And I think it just shows the real level of writing that Michael... I'm, I'm going to call him Michael because End doesn't really seem right. Mr. End? From the never-ending story, yeah. Mr. We're probably pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> we just... Mr. End, who wrote the never-ending story. I wonder if that's connected. Um... Oh, shit! I just realised what you were getting at. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the skill that it would have taken to write those contrasts and to still have a really fluid story being told, I just mm. think it's really impressive. Yeah, I, I, when I was reading it, it had the same pace that Philip Pullman yeah. talks about a lot um, that fairy tales possess that makes them so distinctly different from uh, other longer works of fiction. But fairy tales aren't always long. I'm just, you know, Talking about length, the feel... Of the size of this book is so satisfying to me. Oh, yes. I just think it's printed. This is completely. And you can't see the book. You can't see the book. I'm going to describe it to you. It is like just a bit bigger than my hand. And it's got really small text. It's a standard paperback size. Yeah. And the pages are really thin. And it's just, it's got a weight to it. But Yeah, it looks like it's only going to be 250 pages. But it's over 400. It's over 400. And it's just delightful. And I really... Actually, since we're talking about the book, something they could not have conveyed in the movie, but <laughs> I think it's a really special touch, and I want to know how much of this was Ralph Mannheim, who translated the book, and how much of this was Michael End, and if this was consistent in the German version. So, there are 26 chapters in the Neverending Story, and each chapter, as you would expect, starts with a letter, but they start with a letter that goes in order of the alphabet. So the first chapter starts with a word that starts with A, and the mm. second chapter starts with a word that starts with B, and But there's so also forth, numbers. So there's, there's two chapters that are numerical numbered. It's not exactly 26 chapters, the book. There's two chapters that have numbers. Where are they? Where are they? I don't remember. Yeah, I'll find them, but continue what you're talking about that, because I think that's also really cool. See, there's that one. Oh. I've just kind of crushed Brianna a bit, because she thought... No, but... See? Mm, I'm so sure. That's... No, let me look. Look, I see. I but no, Maddie, that's 26. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my mind's just been blown. 
I totally thought he was. It's just because it's, it's, it's Roman numerals. I fuck you. I totally thought. Oh yeah, fifteen. No, that's twenty-five. Twenty-five. I actually really liked the Roman numerals. I used to be really good at that in school, in primary school. Cool. Wow, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your point? I just think it's cool. There's no way they could have put that in the movie, but I yeah, think there's fun. a whole bunch of stuff that I think is super cool that they couldn't have put. Like when this is completely jumping ahead. When Falcor is described as the creature of air and sky, and so it's like him catching on fire when he goes into the ocean because it fills yeah. with his scales. Like oh, that was just so that was so well written, and it made me really. I understood what it was like when he went into the water. So if we're looking, <laughs> stumping around at. The book. And maybe maybe we should talk about this. So there's two ways to review this film, right? There's one as an adaptation. Yes. And one as a movie in and of itself. So adaptation, what would you give the movie? Out of ten. Adaptation? Adaptation. Like, uh... We <laughs> can't give it more than a five because it's only half a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, when I'm talking about the adaptation, I am talking about... The first, the half first of the film is, yeah, the first half of the book, exactly. Um, and I would give it a nine. Mm. Like, as far as an adaptation, it's it doesn't fit in every character, but there are limitations with literal screen time. And I just think it really captured so much of, you know, Bastion. He's in the attic. He's eating an apple. He's under a blanket. I, he, you're reading the book with him. Yeah. And I thought it was great. I thought it was told really well. Absolutely. I would give it a nine for today. And a seven, no, a nine for the 80s and a seven for today. And I'll come back to that when we get to read a remake, retire. Okay. Cool. And then, um, so as a movie. By itself. By itself. By itself. I don't know why I haven't thought about this. Uh, seven? Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. It's just, it's oh, it's a childhood classic for me. Yeah, but for me, that's the thing, isn't it? As you didn't kid, grow up watching I it. I didn't watch it. For some reason in my childhood, I've only seen the second and the third one, and so I have a much cornier, much cheesier version of the never-ending story, whereas if I'd read the book or seen the first film, it would have been much more of a clean, classic, like, oh, I'm in love. Yeah, I feel like if you had grown up watching this, you yeah. would feel about it the way you do about The Labyrinth. The Labyrinth is very good. Is that a book? First? No, I don't think so. That's I don't know. So I know. We'll have to look at it. We should just, we should, just do it anyway. We're just gonna start anyway. Just watch this movie right um, I just want to watch this movie and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I give it a seven because I, exactly, I don't have that nostalgia. I find that, I found that watching it, it was a little dry with just the way that, like, I, Honestly, enjoyed him being in the attic as much as I enjoyed all the things that happened to Atreyu because of the way it was told. Like, I understand they had to make all these physical props, which was awesome. But I also, I just felt like it was really rushed. Hmm. And having not... Hmm. I was going to say, I feel like your perspective is extremely valuable, having not grown up with it. But I think nostalgia trumps your perspective. So I still say it gets a nine. And I win. I'm, it's not... It doesn't average out to an eight. You give it a nine, I give it a seven, that's okay. No, it doesn't average out to eight because it gets a nine and I win. <laughs> okay. We're gonna I'm move kidding. on. No, no, no. no. Um, I think I think that's fair. But I, I it's could fine. It, could it be could it not be rushed? I guess you don't get the sense 
It could definitely on how long a tray you could, is actually searching yeah, for. Yeah, it could definitely not be yeah. rushed, but it would be made to the length of today's films, which is like two and a half hours. Yeah, like this could be made to a film the way Lord of the Rings was made into films. Yes. Yeah, and it would be so epic. Let's do it. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. So it's like I can play the child. I'm impressed. Because I'm only that's... almost thirty, it's fine. Because <laughs> if that's the pacing you're used to with things like Lord of the Rings and the detail and the effects and like even yeah, why hasn't Peter Jackson picked up this book? What? He did Mortal Engines. Oh, don't talk about it. We're, we are going to review that, but let's not ruin this podcast with that. Uh, what other differences did you want to talk about? Okay, so if we're just reviewing the first half of the book to the, the, to the first movie. Yes. Um, we'll mention the other half of the <sighs> God, it's so bad. Even the casting. We'll just, we'll just talk about it later. We'll just <laughs> we'll have a brief little... Yeah. Uh, so there are three main big plot things for me number one yes. is the fact that in the book chiron uh goes to the purple buffalo people to sorry i was totally tripping out i was like chiron you mean from percy jackson and then i remembered there are chirons who are centaurs in both books yes um yeah so chiron goes to the people of the purple buffalo yep. where atreyu is from the and the green plains and the green plains the ocean of it's got a really cool name. But yeah, sorry, yeah. the Purple Buffalo. And um, kind of recruits Atreyu on behalf of the, the childlike Empress. Mm. Uh, and they just cut that out. And I totally... That's fine. It's okay. Uh, like, yeah, I, understand, I understand why they cut it out for, yeah. like, for pacing reasons. And it's it's okay. But I, I did miss it, but it's okay. Mm. He literally just appears at the... The Emerald City. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The Tower... The Golden t- Lotus. Is it the Tower? The Tower of Justice. The Ivory Tower. The Ivory Tower. Yes. He's there, and he's also white. <laughs> he's supposed to be green in the book. He could at least be. And they did try painting him, but everyone felt, every the, the you know crew felt that it wasn't tasteful. Like, it didn't, it didn't show up the way. I think today's makeup artists, I don't know. I just would have preferred... Like, if, if, if it was, like, Atreyu, but green, like, Maybe green Gamora. hair. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's the technology we have today. Because she looks amazing. Yeah. But, I mean, I would have just liked anyone, a person of color would have been nice. You yeah. don't have to be green, but mm. literally the, you know, oh, the white luck dragon. Oh, the white boy in the attic. Oh, the white boy on the adventure with the horse. Oh, the white princess. Hey, Chiron's black. The guy who announces the adventure. You're right. He is a man of color. Yes. Uh, That's what we get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, but, I, know, but, I know you do. It's the yeah, 80s. Yeah, it's the 80s. Nothing to be done now. Moving forward. Um, the other two big ones are uh, aspects of Atreyu's journey. And let's just, let's just start out 20 minutes into the podcast. By saying that we're going to mess up so many of the characters' names. Oh, hardcore. I was literally um, going to mention it's... this before. I was reading this name. Ugly. Ugula. Sorry. Uyulala. Oh, that looks like a G. Uyulala. Pointing out my handwriting. It's just an example of a name we're going to say wrong. Well, I was just going to say, Gramule is a spider monster that has captured Falcor. It's actually... It looks like a spider, but it's made up of thousands of tiny black things. Hmm. I'm going to say flies. Hmm. And flies and spies. 
Fly doesn't spot. Falcor. <laughs> Fly doesn't spot. Oh my. Uh, Falcor. Falcor is trapped and dying when a tray you happens upon and a tray you has to let Falcor be killed by Gramule, uh in order to escape. But it ends up working out that Falcor gets to escape as well, and so Atreyu finds his little buddy. Yeah, because <clears throat> that spider monster has to grant a wish before you die. Yeah, once the poison is in your blood, that's right. He is able to grant you one wish, but he doesn't go around telling people that because everybody would wish to escape. Uh, but Falcor overhears Eugramiel telling this to Atreyu. Atreyu, and Atreyu gets that that information from Eugramiel, Eugramiel, whatever. Um, Spider Buster! Y G R A M U L. If you're German, could you please tell us how to pronounce it? Um, uh, I try you get that information because Oren is like a universal symbol for respect. Yeah. You have to respect and like uh, respect gold, and balance. Like some bling. Yes. Yeah. No, that is true. And then they also don't visit the four wind giants, and those were both kind of filming budget cuts. Are you. Do you know that, or are you just saying that? Well, I mean, I know it as much as IMDb knows it. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense, because they just combine a bunch of things like that. Like, they have they have the old turtle woman, whose name is Mor- Morla. The Morla. aged one. She basically fills the gap of where that spider creature would have been. Morla's in the book as well. Yeah, but they combine those characters, because they have... So the first instance where Bastion is heard in the book... Uh, well, I mean, I don't... Re- <laughs> They don't really combine Morla with the, the... But they do, because that's also how Atreyu meets Falcor. They don't combine Morla no, with anything. No, not... They, don't, they, they use Atreyu's introduction to Morla as a way to also introduce uh, Falcor. And Bastion. Um, and it's where ba- uh, they first hear Bastion scream. But yeah. I wouldn't say that combining... I think... Like, when you say combining I mean, two sorry. different scenes... You're it, right. I mean in the sense of the catalyst that it was for events. Yes. That's what it is. Like a whole bunch more things happen, um, which I think is what I'm talking about when I talk about the pacing. Um, But I mean, that's just because if you enjoy a book, you want it to last longer. So you want the film to last longer as well. Sure. It is is quite quick. Like it almost make, there's a part where Atreyu is complaining to the childlike empress about the fact that he had to do all of these things and... (laughs) Yeah. And um, he, he doesn't understand why he had to do all of those things because the boy was with them all along. Mm. But it's because the boy had to go on the journey with Atreyu and and be in the story with Atreyu. Mm. So, but yeah, those, I mean, those are the three things. They were all cut because, for relatively reasonable reasons. So, yeah. th- you know, it, it is what it is. Um, it let's is talk is. about the gates. Yes. So... These are the gates that Atreyu has to go through to talk with Yuilala, who Uyulala. Uyulala, who is the southern oracle that is... Sorry, who told him to go here? It, was it in a dream? It's Morla. Mor- oh, yes, of course, of course, of course, of course. So, <laughs> basically, Atreyu's journey is the childlike empress telling Chiron to tell him to go to see Morla, who tells him to go see Uyulala, who tells him to go back to... Southern oracle. Oh, Uyulala says, you have to find the edge of Fantasia. Fantasia. So just a bunch of people telling him to go to different places. Yes. For me, who's someone who really likes efficiency, that um, would annoy me if I was a Treyu. I'd be like, but I was already over there. What do you mean? (laughs) 
Um, but the gates in the book are described very differently. So for some reason, at the first gate, which is still the Sphinxes, but they have lasers. Lasers. Fucking lasers. Sorry, that's just really so stupid. Because in the book, it's you walk to the gates and you stare in the Sphinx's eyes. No, and you they, don't look them in the eye. The point is, is that they just keep giving you riddle after riddle after riddle after riddle after riddle. And people get so stuck that they never move on. Atreyu is able to answer the riddle and that's why he passes through the gate. Yeah. In the movie... He dodges the lasers. He does the lasers. Which is... It, it is they can see into his soul of what kind of hero he is. And yeah, which doesn't make any sense as well because he is supposed to be the hero that brings Bastion to save Fantasia. Well, so why did they shoot lasers at him? Yeah, so what I'm thinking is the representation that we're going for, and this is, I think, one of the big deviations from kind of theme that really bothers me. But to, yeah. I think what they were going for is that the idea is is that all the other heroes get there and get so caught up with their insecurities about being the hero they are, that they don't think to just move. And that's what makes them vulnerable to the lasers, because they don't move. Because they believe that they don't deserve to pass through the gates. But Atreyu doesn't have that. He, he moves, so he doesn't freeze. And that's, that's what they're saying. He deserves to get through the gates because he doesn't get caught in his own insecurities, which doesn't stop him from moving. That's what I think yeah, they were going for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so but I mean, many... it's pretty. It's pretty big stretch for a children's film. <laughs> it is pretty open to interpretation, uh, and definitely, I just don't think lasers needed to be there. But I, you know, I think that's the that, Star Wars. That it is the yeah, age of Star Wars, and also they wanted to build up that scene to be a lot more tense than obviously an internal monologue of riddles would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but in I regards, in regards to that scene, um, the the no, never mind. The second gate. Um, is the icicles that are reflecting your inner self. Yes. And, and this is really important. This is really important. So the film does it all right. It's literally just got like a, a huge glass door, which you do see Bastion reading the book in the attic, and Atreus like, oh, who's this kid? And I think that's kind of interesting. Like, what is that implying? Is that saying that they're two of the same, like, you know, two sides of the same coin kind of thing? They are. They are. Yeah. So yeah. that's really cool. And so basically, the reason that men... Ugh, because women never go through these gates. The reason that men fail is because they see their true selves and it scares them so much that they run away in fear of, you know, who they're like. True true men see themselves as liars and good men see themselves as... I guess maybe, just carrying on from that, maybe Atreyu sees Bastion because Atreyu is the amalgamation of Bastion's fantasies in yep. his mind. yeah. Absolutely. Like he's, you know, Bastion is chubby and scared and weak uh, and he wants to be much more of a hero. And so obviously if this is being told from his mind, then someone like Atreyu who is fearless and rides horses and knows how to use a bar and air will be him. So basically Atreyu walks through that mirror, which is the second gate. And then the third and final gate is a door without handles. And I actually can't remember how he... Does he just he just pushes on it, doesn't he? Hmm. Something like that. But it's, he gets in, and that's where you meet Uyulala. Yeah. Which is we read an excerpt from that at the beginning. Yeah. She is the song of the wind. So she doesn't have a physical body, and she can only speak in rhymes. And in the film, 
they literally just did it as different colored sphinxes, which is fair because they wanted to use obviously something that designers spend a lot of money on. So it's like, hey, more screen time. I totally get it. They literally just shone a different light on them, so they're different colors, and they have that conversation that Uyulala and a, a tray you have. They have that conversation. But what I don't like is the fact that they took out the rhyming. Like you could have had that same conversation, but in rhyme, in rhymes, because yeah. that you know. It's I also would have liked to see the palace and yeah, Uyulala. She's, well, she's, not see Uyulala. Yeah, she's supposed to be in a palace of columns. It's also one of the only female characters we get, so. There are very limited female characters. We've got the childlike empress, who of course is like a beautiful young girl child who must be saved. Sorry, I keep going back to that, but it just yeah. irritates me. And yeah, Bastion's got no mum, the bookseller's a man, there's the, the Southern Oracles. Are, the We do get... Urkel? A fantastic, yeah. Yeah, Urkel's is great. A doctor, and she's... Her, super fun. Got her, yeah, she's super fun. I actually thought the way those characters were portrayed and acted was just so fucking fantastic. Yeah. I thought they were great. I thought the way that whole scene was done was great, like a Treyu. So these characters live in the desert because one of the... The husband is a scientist, and he is studying the gates, and his wife is a doctor, and they argue, and they bicker, and it's just hilarious, and they're tiny, well, like, mm. elves. Like gnomes or goblins. Gnomes or go- yeah, perfect. And so there's a there's a shot that really portrays it so well in the film, like a tray was looking into the cave, and his whole body is like the entrance mm. of the cave. It's good force perspective. It's really good force perspective. They do some classic force perspective, which actually reminds me again of Lord of the Rings. Um, but I thought that whole, that bit of the film, just super good. Yeah, since since we're talking about that, did you want to move into reviewing the film? Did you have anything else you wanted to say about plot differences? No, I mean, we'll come back to the second half of the book in a minute, in a moment, in more than a moment. But yeah, we'll come back to that. <laughs> so, so just yeah. reviewing the film. So let's start with casting. Yeah. Uh, we did touch a bit on Atreyu, which we would have preferred to see in a person of color in that role. Yeah. Or if, if we were remaking the film... Uh, it could be like Bastion or Atreyu could be a female. Yeah, I think Bastion as a female would make more sense. Yeah, that'd be super cool. I'd dig that. Anyway, yeah, um, the casting of Bastion, yeah, well, I mean, we already talked about. He's a great actor. He did, oh, a, he did such a good job. So, Stunning. So, like, he. So watchable. He wasn't like, this was such good choices as far as the director. Like, they didn't age him up. Yep. He was just a little boy who literally sometimes stumbled over his lines. But that's how children talk. Yeah. It was awesome. And there's a scene that you love where he grabs an apple to eat in the attic while he's got the blanket over yes. his head. Yeah. Um, and I, oh, he's just, he, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I really liked Bastian. And since we're talking about Bastian, um, I know that he is supposed to be chubby. He's supposed to be uncoordinated. He's supposed to be a geeky little kid. Um, he's supposed to be a lot less cool than what he is. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's just a little cutie. And yeah. that is not what Bastian is supposed to be like someone you would ostracize because you're like, oh, you're kind of like a, a weird, ugly kid. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, I understand. You got to sell films. You got to sell tickets. Just like, just talking about the eating thing. Um, this, I think the film has some really great humorous moments and um, two of them do come with Bastion eating. One of them is when Atreyu, one of them is when Atreyu's horse, Artax, starts nuzzling Atreyu and Atreyu's like, oh, what <laughs> yeah. do you want? What do you want? Oh, you want to eat. And then, Bastion, it cuts back to Bastion. Bastion's like, that's a great idea. And then gets a sandwich and then he eats it, starts eating voraciously. And then he goes, no, 
we still have a long way to go. And he puts it away to ration it. And he's I'm so serious. Sorry. He is, and it's, but it's so good. It's yeah. really good. Um, he does a great job. There's also a great part where he unlocks the attic door and then realizes he's left the key in it, and then he just reaches out and grabs the key, and it's With super funny. Yeah, that's really, as someone who hadn't seen that before, that was just super hilarious. It was. It was, it was beautiful. There was a lot of good comedic timing. Um, mm. I thought that, like you were saying, Angie Wook and Urgel were hilarious um, mm. when Angie Wook falls out of the basket. And Urgel has a great line where she says, um, oh, it's something like, the patient telling the doctor it's all right. Mm. And I just, I really, <laughs> I really loved it. I really, I just did. And I, I had probably haven't seen the movie uh, before we watched it in a number of years. Mm. And re-watching it, I laughed just as much as I did as a kid. And I, I really think that so many of these shots are so endearing and they do a really good job. So with the humor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, casting of the childlike empress I thought was really good. Yeah. That actress has really good range. She's classy, has a classically beautiful. beautiful round child face. So, of course, she literally looks like who she is. So that's great. Yep. And no surprise, she's still a beauty. Yeah. Um, Chiron is supposed to be a centaur, so I was a bit bummed that he was just played by a human. Yeah. Um, I, I get that, like... I mean, they, they, they went above and beyond in some of the practical and, and makeup effects with um, other people. And Chiron's part is so limited in the film. So it makes sense they didn't want to go through all the effort of, of turning him into a centaur. Yeah, for I sure. I think. I mean, there was some... Considering they built a still-functioning giant dragon. For Falcor. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is really cool. Falcor as a character, watching it as an adult, he has some creepy as fuck lines. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, you know, it was a more innocent time, we could say. But he... It, was it? And, well, the way people didn't talk about things that were happening. Yes. Mm. Mm. But uh, I think he looks awesome. Like, his scales mixed with the fur is super solid. So good. Yeah. Um, his eyes and mouth are weird. And I don't like how... They... I mean, they're puppets. I think when you consider... The, like, if you watch... If you go back and watch... Uh... The dark crystal. The dark crystal. Yeah, the Skeksis are scary as heck. You know, you, you, you get you, you get what you get with puppets. You get limited no, facial range. No, for sure, for sure. I, it's incredibly impressive. I don't know why they have a, a bit where all of the boys are scratching behind his ear. He's, all of the boys? Yeah. Bastion does it at one point, and um, Atreyu does it at one point. Oh. And it's like a running joke. Hmm. So it's like a, oh, he, he's not a dog. No. It's not their relationship. He's much more like... The reason that Falcor is even in the book is because Atreyu saves him, and so Falcor then pledges his life to Atreyu. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. That's yeah. No, no, no. Been. Definitely. Valid criticism. Yeah. Um, and I guess that could have been... Like, that's something that was missed because they didn't have the spider character. Yeah. That's not explained. Like, literally, Falcor just flies down into the swamp when Atreyu is tired and saves him from being eaten by the wolf character. Yes. That we do see. Yes. Gamork. Which is cool. Gamork. I love Gamork is fantastic. He is Gamork. terrifying. Gamork is scary. He, I, Super oh, scary. As a kid. Yeah, he's got green Gamork eyes. Is, oh. And he's just like frightening. That's, okay, that's something that I love about practical puppets and practical sets. Like when you make them, then there's no soft edges like animation. Like that wolf, like if that wolf like looked at me, I would be like, oh, I'm going to die. Like, and I love that. Like, it's good to have genuinely scary things mm. in children's movies and books. I just think that's 
you know, it might give you nightmares, but you know, hey. Absolutely. It's good. <laughs> uh, Apparently, okay. Didn't you, you were telling me about how the actor who plays Atreyu actually, when he does his scene where he has to kill Gamork, they only did it in one take because yes. he actually got injured. Yes. Yeah. And, and they were like, afraid that he would get more seriously injured. He also almost died in filming the swamp scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's like the elevator, there was an elevator or something, some sort of mechanical part of mm. this set where they filmed it. He got caught and it pulled him under. Um, Terrifying. So, yeah. Oh. Um, there's, a, there's an internet rumor that... He died? No, that his horse actually died in the swamp, in the filming of the swamp, but that's not true. I really hope not. No, it's That's not such true. a great scene, though. In fact, the actor, Noah, was given the horse, but he had to leave it behind in Germany, where they filmed. That's cool that they filmed in Germany. Yeah. I didn't know that. And they had to leave it behind because, you know... Oh, Tex! Well, you know, transporting a horse internationally is, is not an easy thing to do. No, no. Yeah. Um... Uh... I thought Moral of the Aged one, I thought the scene with Moral of the Aged one was great. <laughs> it's definitely more comical how she keeps sneezing a tree mm. off the tree. Like, I can see uh, why that would appeal to some. Yeah. So, the Southern Oracle, um, you were going to mention something about the tension before. Did you want to talk about that? Well, it was basically why I, I thought they justified the lasers. Because with going through the first gate, if there's an internal monologue between the Finks and Atreyu with them solving riddles... It's not very entertaining as far as a spectacle for a film. And yeah. so the lasers were kind of, for me, what I thought they were. Like, we literally see a knight go up to go through the gate and he gets shot with the lasers. And so that's literally already set the scene for, okay, so you can die doing this. Yeah. And then we've got, um, er, which one's Egiwook? The man or the woman? The man. It's the not male. clear. The male one. The music, the names aren't the, s- about, the scientist. Here we go. And he's looking through a telescope as Atreyu decides, before he even tells him about the other two gates, which is in the film, and the book gives him a whole disposition. It's like a whole thing. Disposition the right word? No. Exposition. That was a description. Inglewood gives him a whole description of the whole three gates. But in the film, apparently, he must go before. Like, that's another thing that films often do to build tension. Like, oh, the character has to go without a vital piece of information mm. just because of this one thing that times it's like, oh, it's not realistic. But it, it's fine. We're going to hear about them anyway. so it's And we get to see them, which yeah. is nice. It's better to, you know, that's what film's about, seeing rather than being told something. They're not, yeah. Yeah. No, fair point. Um, yeah. And so with the lasers, um, you know, you see a Atreyu who acts it really well, close up of his face. He's super tense. He's walking up to the gates. He's looking at the oracles who have their eyes shut and it's some... Like their eyes open the slow concrete as yeah. they're about to shoot. And they cut away. And it cuts back. And it cuts away. And it cuts back. And it cuts to the bones of the nail on the ground. Ah, and they're still ah, sizzling. Ah, ah, ah. And, 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 then, and then the lasers shoot, which I'm actually kind of like, well, of course they do because he built the tension. But he just dives out of the way, which what you were saying before was like, oh, he deserves to get through because he dived out of the way. Yeah. He didn't freeze under the pressure. Still, I don't think they should have shot if you're talking about his worth of getting through the gates. But yeah. I understand that's what they were going for. And obviously, as far as greater tension, in I a guess, film, you have to keep people engaged. You know, every 20 yeah. minutes, you got to throw something in there. So they're like, don't be asleep. Are you mm-hmm. saying you're asleep? I mean, don't I, be think, asleep. I think there's definitely a way to keep people engaged. I think a modern audience would be more engaged with original an original telling now. But I do think that with a tray you diving out of the way and that being a representation of him having self-worth, mm. that's a good... That's a good theme for the movie because... Self-worth. 
Yeah. It definitely is. I think that's what it's all about. It's really important for Bastion to to love himself. Yeah. And to feel like he can be a hero. And to feel like he's enough. He doesn't have to get his hair down, but he can be... Like, he likes drawing horses, even though he's scared to ride them. They're Pegasus. I'm sorry. He likes to draw them, even though he's scared to ride them. Or are they unicorns? They're unicorns. They're unicorns. But they're not horses. And that's very important. (laughs) (laughs) He has to know that he's enough. And, you know. Let me just correct you incorrectly. Um, Yeah, thanks. One one minute, please. Yeah. What's that game? Hold on a second. Um, just a minute. Yeah. Just a minute. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 and I do think that if you take that interpretation of the Oracle scene, it, it's effective. Yeah. No, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm, these are assumptions that we're making without having been told them. And so we're kind of adding the, <laughs> we're adding the deeper meaning to them behind them as to, but I'm sure, you know, we've directed some things. You've directed some things. I've assisted, uh, so my interpretation is correct. No, it's not what I'm saying. I don't need to tell. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying is that you know that there are there are motives behind things. People don't just like, hey, we're gonna get into shoot lasers because kids like lasers. Kids do like lasers. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. And lightsabers. And do 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 do. That was pretty good. So there are two scenes in this movie that I think are particularly moving. Yes. Can and I guess what the second one is? I can already see what the first one is. Yep. Oh, yep. Um, I was going to guess. I didn't actually know. So w- the first one is our taxes death scene. I think... It's done so well. It, it is done really well. In In the book, our tax can talk and communicate. With, yeah, more animals can. Yeah, with, with Atreyu. And, yes. that, and they have a really beautiful exchange where... Atreyu realizes that Artax is struggling so much in the swamps of sadness because he isn't carrying Orin, and Orin is protecting Atreyu. And he yeah. offers to give Artax Orin, but Artax won't take it because he knows then Atreyu will be affected and then he will die. And yeah. Artax, Atreyu is more important he needs to, to live. Fantasia you than Artax You must live. Is. What is that from? You have to live. Sorry. I don't know. It'll come to you. Yeah. But I think that's really amazing. And I... I'm sad that it's not in the movie. It's not horrible because that scene is still beautiful. It's beautifully done and beautifully acted. And I really not enjoyed watching Artax die. But it's a moving scene. Mm. I really hope the horse didn't die in real life. It, it didn't. Because that's back in the They've time when like, it. Milo and Otis went through like so many cats and dogs to shoot that movie. Yeah. And as a kid, I did not think about that. No. Just like you didn't think about the fact that every one of Anastasia's brothers and sisters were shot gunpoint. I'm so upset about that. I'm sorry, it's okay. I, I shouldn't have brought it up. No, you shouldn't have. But the other scene that I really like, and this is not in the book anywhere, but it, I still think about it now as an adult, is when Rockbiter at the end is... Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Is talking about... He says, they look like big, strong hands, don't they? And it's about how his physical strength couldn't protect his friends and from the nothingness yes yeah. and i think that's really important because it's the physical strength of the bullies that beats bastion but it is his emotional and imaginative strength that is more important yeah and i think that's a really good and it's just so good it's so good and i that's a consistent theme throughout the book like when we were watching the movie we actually commented on the fact it was so nice seeing so many men and boys cry 
Yes. Like, when did it become not okay to see boys cry in films? But Bastion cries, Atreyu cries. Atreyu cries at the loss of his best friend, Artex, who's a horse. Yeah. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And they're heroes. They are heroes. Mm. Yeah. That's just... The complexity of that character, we don't get as much today, especially for young characters. Well, we except I for Seven Universe. Seven I would Universe say is the best. ten years ago, we didn't get as much, but nowadays we are seeing that come back onto the screen. Yeah. It's but it's really like lovely. ebbs and flows. Like it's mm. really interesting that they come in and out of fashion. Yeah, like that. Yeah. I think there's still a certain type of film that doesn't include male uh, vulnerability, but we don't, we don't watch that. We are trying as a society. Some of us are. <laughs> Um, but I, I, yeah, I really, I just, I think that's such a beautiful scene and it, it really moved me as a kid and it moved me again as an adult. So, um, since we're talking about this and I think we've talked a lot about, we, we haven't talked a lot about the practical effects in the sense that Falcor looks amazing, but we did talk about that. But also, um, at the beginning, Rockbiter and the Nighthawk and the Bats all look fantastic. Um, yeah. not all of the cinematography is great no. when Atreyu is... Traveling essentially, it looks a lot more like Soren. <laughs> and when he's riding on his horse, it looks like he's just riding away from like a painted backdrop. And there's there are they are painted backdrops. I know, but it, I know. And actually, it's really funny because they use the exact same shot with a tray riding a horse in the first and second Neverending. Even Story though they've film. all been recast. And I noticed them. I noticed it. You did. And I was like, that's the exact same shot. Which is funny because a tray was played by different people. Yeah. So let's just talk for a second about Michael N's reaction to the film. Yes, what was it? Do you not know? I hope you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you. Super curious. The first one. He hated it. The first one. He hated it. Why? He thought it was a gross misrepresentation of the book that he wrote. And Did he, did he know it was just going to be the first half? Because if he went in thinking it was going to be the whole book, he would have been pissed. I have no idea. Yeah. But it was, he hated it so much, he sued them to try and force them to change the title so it would no longer be associated with his book. And he lost, which is why his name doesn't show up at the beginning. It only shows up at the end on the end credits. I'd love to know why he hated it so much. I think that what The NeverEnding Story is as a movie is a much, much more simplified version oh, absolutely. of the grand philosophical ideas yep. that are discussed in the book and I think he was really disappointed because those weren't as important to him. Yeah. It's so much about existentialism and that's not touched on at all but how I think I think it's because ex- existentialism plays a part in it but I think it's it is more than that and it is a, a... but I reading the book and watching the movie and having read the book now as an adult and not having read it as a child, but reading it now with a very, very small little bit of information about philosophy as an adult and understanding kind of I'll say you know more than the average person. You obviously aren't a doctor in it. No. Um, I think that what you get out of the book is still what you get out of the movie, at least in terms of the first half. There's a lot more in the second half about... Bastien and his identity and wish like, fulfillment. And, and getting what you want and not and not being what you need. Yes. Yeah. And Definitely. how people wish for things that eventually... Destroy them? Well, destroy them in an attempt to get the things that they really need. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Often. Preach. <laughs> but 
it makes me sad that Michael N. doesn't love the movie. Uh, because I love it so much. Yeah, but of course... But I mean, I think I think it's hard when you create something and characters and a story with a purpose that is so important to you. And if it's not reflected properly in another adaptation of it, I think that would be really hard. So, you know, fair enough. Definitely. And this book is so... It, it It's what you've said. It's oversimplified in the film, but it's really hard to dive into something that has such depth and analysis of so many aspects of life. How can you tell that in 90 minutes in a film? That's meant for a blockbuster audience. Yeah. Yeah, for so sure. Definitely. But like... I mean, indie indie film? Yeah. Maybe today with um, some artistic well, licenses. Like you've said before, it could be made into like a BBC TV series and that would be great. Speaking of which, and we should talk a little bit about that. So there are two films that come after this one there's the never ending story 2 and the never ending story 3 and there was also an animated series oh yeah and that looks fucking weird if you haven't seen it just look up the trailer for the animated series on youtube it's so weird yeah yeah and uh i mean we didn't cover the animated series nor are we covering um the never ending story 3 because they are very loosely inspired by the books, and I'm going to say inspired, like not they, based on. I feel like they're more inspired by the first film than the actual books, mm, I would say. Yeah. It's more about the characters and their names than, yeah, than the story about, itself. Go on with Bastion and Falco on an adventure. This week, we plant a tree. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like it would be that. Oh, the tree has mold. Save the tree. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. before we get into Redo, Remake, Retire, mm. let's discuss mm. the second movie. Mm. Which mm. <laughs> does kind of continue on from the first movie <laughs> and kind of in that one additional character from the second half of the book is included in the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So just... Uh, and that's, that's basically it. Yeah. For those who haven't read the second half of the book, so the book... Um, and one mini teensy-weensy subplot is included and that's the the invisible belt yeah betrayal and the thing. wishes um taking away his memories yeah <laughs> um so just to give you a little summary of the second half of the book and we're probably going to go over our normal time which is about an hour because we're including this but think of it as a bonus it really is um, <laughs> <laughs> let me just talk myself up but so in the second half of the book bastian is in the world of fantasia and he is creating it through his wishes what he doesn't realize is that every time he wishes he loses a memory of himself yeah which is of, of, of who he is yeah. and his life in the human world yeah and he does some incredible things he builds a beautiful forest that dies in, uh, and turns into a desert and then regrows every morning and there is um, a wonderful lion in it called Grogroman. Um, and then he goes to the Silver City, which the is... The multicolored death. Yes. Yeah. I just uh, want to say, it's a really good analogy for how chasing what you think you want, you lose yourself. Mm. That's what it is with him making wishes and losing his memory. And I just think that's amazing. Yes. And then he goes to the Silver City and he meets... He meets a tree. Oh, the prince. Yeah. Prince. He, he, he meets four princes and a princess. Yes. Um, and they're they're only important that he starts to realize that his wishes have can consequences. Be, can be because bad. he wishes a dragon into existence. Smurg. Yeah, which I think must be related to Smaug from 
the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, importantly, he learns about the Acarus, uh, which help do the silver filigree that makes the silver city what it is. Mm. But they're incredibly hideous, and they cry all the time, and he turns them into beautiful, funny little creatures. But they no longer make beautiful silver filigree anymore. Their tears actually made the lake that surrounds the silver city. Yeah, because they cry acid tears. Yeah. Uh, But it also allows the silver filigree to be what it is. The second half of the book is so good. It is so good. Um, So he starts to lose himself. And he goes on a trek to the Ivory Tower. And along the way, he meets Zaida, who is evil, an evil sorceress, and who convinces him that Atreyu is trying to betray him. And he, she does so with the help of a, a, a belt that helps Bastion go invisible. And then he gets to the Ivory Tower, and there's a big war, and he nearly kills Atreyu. Yeah, the war is between... Atreyu Bastion, and who's Bastion. trying to rule Fantasia now. Yeah, in the because he's lost. He's place. he's basically lost himself. Yeah, he's lost his mind. Yeah, and then Atreyu's trying to save him from himself. Yeah, and he thinks these are all the things that he wants because he thinks that's what it takes to be a hero. Um, but what he actually wants is to love himself and to feel loved and taken care of and to learn how to be a part of something bigger than himself. Um, and so. He realizes by um, going to this fantastic little city. I can't remember what it's called. It's just the city of all the lost people who have come back and brought their stories. Because this is a never-ending story. So this yeah. has happened before. It's happened, which I think is so cool. It's such a yeah. cyclical thing. And it's like, hey. In fact. You're not special, man. Like, Carl Coriander, the owner of the bookstore, went to Fantasia before Bastion did. Yeah, but he survived. Yeah. And he, that's why he's all about the books. Yeah. And so he finds out that he has to get back, but he needs to use his wishes in order to do that. And he only has three wishes left. The memory of his father, the memory of his mother, and his own name. Um, yeah, because... <laughs> and he, do, he, he there's some really amazing things that he does. He goes to a town where you can't speak or... No, you can speak. But they don't have a word for I. Because right. it's all about unity. and. But it's also it also means that because you're all one, none of you are individuals. So when someone dies, they don't mourn. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't like that. Um, and then he moves on. He goes to a, a house that's always changing and that teaches him how to love and that he what he wants is to be loved. Yeah. And then he goes to yours, Minroud, and he mines pictures of people from their lost memories, right? Yeah. Because he's trying to find a memory of something that he loves so that he can remember to how to get back to the human world. Yeah. He has to trade it to get to the fountain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, it's incredible. Um, he tells stories. No, he, no. Has, he has this amazing power because he's the only person who can invent new things. And everything, there's a lot of uh, interesting philosophy and fun, fantastical elements about time because once he introduces a story... It always has been and always will be, but it, it wasn't before. Yeah. But it always it, it always has been. So it's, it's, really it's cool. he can create a history that didn't exist but does exist because of his wishes. So it's really it's really, really fantastic. And um, Maddie, why don't you tell us how they do adapting that very complex story that I just talked about, summarized very lengthily <laughs> uh, into the into the second film? 
So the Never Ending Story 2 has the same book seller, but every other character is recast. different. Yeah, it's recast. So Bastion is he's played by an older boy who still is afraid. And so rather than continuing from when the first part of the book ends, he's back in the human world and Fantasia needs his help again. Basically, Bastion goes back into Fantasia with Orin around his neck, so he's able to he's able to make wishes. Um, he arrives in Fantasia on a boat on a lake and going towards the Silver City, and he meets a completely random character that the film made up, which is a bird, a scary spy bird. And so basically, ah, Nimbly, thank you, played by Martin Umba. And basically the second film is about a tiny part of what happens in the second half of the book where Zaida uh, is embodying the nothingness because she's... It's a, called the emptiness. But it's called the emptiness because she's a woman who isn't nurturing and caring and loves. So she's the problem. Yeah. And... Make sure you tell them about Bastion's wish that saves Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get there. And so Nimli is sent by Zaida to trick slash also encourage Bastion to make wishes because she wants his head to be empty so that he can be filled of the emptiness and so she can control him. Um, because as he makes wishes, he loses memories. And so he's going on an adventure to save the childlike empress. He meets up with Atreyu again. He meets up with Falcor. It's basically they're saving... Fantasia again from the same same but different but this time Zaida is the main guy and Bastion is also the main guy because he's an idiot and he makes lots of terrible mistakes and they go to Zaida's palace which is just like the book which is a hand but again they throw in some fun lasers <laughs> they do because lasers because the lasers uh so that's weird but... mommy I just want to go to the movies and see some see some lasers and if it doesn't have lasers, I won't, I won't like the movie. I won't like the movie, Mom. Yep. I want to see lasers. Yep. Um, and that's like the defense. Small soldier didn't have any lasers, but I liked it. So <laughs> that's the defense system of the palace, which they overtake. Uh, so Atreyu, Falcor, and Bastion overtake the palace. And Zaid is like, oh, you bet me. I'm on your team now. And so she joins up with them. When in reality, she's just trying to get close to Bastion, which happens in the book. But it is not the entire plot. And yeah, it's, it's so small. So small. Just a little. And obviously Atreyu's like, hey, why are you trusting her? She's obviously a bad person. And Bastion's like, oh, but I miss my mum's love. And it's much more, he's making poor choices for poor decisions rather than losing himself like he does in the book, which is just really done so well. And the film is kind of frustrating because it's, Basically got some similar concepts, but that's all the similarities that it has with the second part of the book. And it's it, got the same actor and a small subplot. Or like the same character and the same character. It, it shouldn't really be called The Never Ending Story 2. No. Um, do you know if Michael End liked the second one? I'm assuming no. His name was in it. Is that yeah. what I'm going to I'm assuming no. <laughs> maybe he just wanted the money. Anyway. Um, basically, eventually, obviously. Basically, basically eventually, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm teasing. 
Atreyu and Bastion have a confrontation because Atreyu is trying to help Bastion see clearly and Bastion kills Atreyu and then Valkor leaves with Atreyu because Bastion is now a murderer and he realizes what he's done what he has done because he sees the machine that is taking so his memory Zaida is apparently made a machine that takes Bastion's memories and collects them rather than it being magic it's apparently this machine collects them for some other reason Bastion figures out she's bad he finds Falcor uses his second to last wish to wish Atreyu back to life and so he forgets his mother and then Zaida comes and is like oh use your last wish to go home uh, Fantasia's mine now and Bastion says I will make my last wish Zaida I wish for you to have a heart that's such a good <laughs> uh, impression. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. It's imprinted on my mind, whether I want it to be or not. And so she glows, has a heart, and explodes into glitter. And that literally restores Fantasia from the destruction that it was under. And everything is fine. And Bastion has his memory again, even though he used his last wish. And the childlike empress appears on a boat and says, well done, you've saved Fantasia. And he has to return home by jumping off an imaginary waterfall. Oh yeah, because it's a whole swimming thing. Yeah, because of the he's swimming thing. He's afraid of the high dive. He's afraid of the high dive. Yeah, and so he comes back to the human world after saving Fantasia uh, from himself and Zaida. And his dad and him are like, hey, we love each other. Yeah, which is a really nice touching moment. It's, it's probably a, the best moment. The of best the film. moment of the film is the last scene where Bastion... <laughs> the best movie moment of the film is when it ends. <laughs> well, Bastion's <laughs> dad has been reading the Neverending Story, following Bastion's adventures, which is actually pretty cool because their relationship is very unsteady since his wife, Bastion's mother, has died. And in the end, they tell each other that they love each other and they cry, and it's actually really nice that they, you know, reconnect over that. Uh, I really don't like what they did with that, especially reading, like... <laughs> Having read the book. The film is fine. It just has nothing to do with the never-ending story. And it shouldn't be related. It shouldn't be related. The... Is the film fine, though? Like, as an adaptation, I give it, like, a three. And then as a film, I give it, like, a three. The story <laughs> is very weak. It is. It's not good. It's not enjoyable to watch. The lines it's are cheesy. Super it's super corny. It... Yes. It just doesn't have the heart of the first film. We don't film. need to talk about it anymore. It just needed to be... It, an we should honor, to address it. An honourable mention for what should have been... A dishonourable mention. <laughs> yeah. Dishonour on you. Dishonour on your family. Dishonour on the cow. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just new, new at this. Yeah. I've never done this before. Um, um, yeah, so, you know, the first one... Happened. First one was adorable. And so good. so good. And the second one, which is the second half of the book, just, it sh- if you're not going to, just leave it. Don't, sorry. Just, it didn't need to be made. Uh, yeah. How do you want to wrap it up? So, um, yeah, let's do Redo, Remake, Retire. So this is the part where we discuss, decide whether we'd like to see the film redone, which is where they, they give another shot. The first adaptation was terrible and they just try again. And then, or we decide if that we want it to be remade, which is the same film, same story, same concept, but updated with newer technologies, CGI and all that jazz. Um, or if we want to retire it, like 
you sucked the first time or you never should have done it or it's been done too many times or this was perfect, don't touch it again. Mm. Um, so I decided before that I would love to see this updated. Um, so I'm, I'm a remake, hardcore, remake the film, do it again, do the same story, uh, but you know, update it. And maybe because it would have a bigger budget, we could see the part with the grand mule, which is why I said... Um, it's a nine for back then and a seven now because now they could have a bigger budget there's more technology it would be mm. easier to do if you grand mule and the four wind giants which i'd love to see and also um atreus people yeah i have decided i didn't know at the beginning of this podcast how i felt but thinking about it now i am a redo because i want to see the entirety of the book made into a tv series or something like that and i want it to be uh, like the first one, like the first film, with that kind of wholesome, classic storytelling vibe, but I want more detail, and I want it's rather it's redo rather than remake because I want a a different I want a new thing where they do the entire book in the series so that we can go into more depth and really fall in love with it like we would if we had the time to get to mm. know everyone. Would you want it set in the eighties, or would you want it set today? I think now would be a perfect time to do it in the 80s. The 80s is super hip right now. I don't think it would matter. I mm. think... Um, I don't think... Because of what happens when Bastion is in Fantasia with the with Orin, mm-hmm. uh, it could be seen any time. Because mm. that that's a classic night time, so it has to be in that period. Sure. Whereas him coming from now, I don't mind if it's a modern or if it's from the 80s where he hides in the attic. Yeah. I think it'd be cool if it was told now to remind us that, you know... We like to think we're all very progressive and evolved, but bullies are still very much a thing, and isolation can come in different forms. Sure, yeah. So, wow, that that was really fun for me to do. I loved, I loved the movie. Uh, I love the book now as an adult. I'm super. I was super stoked to find out that it was a book. Who are you? Bastian asked. My name is Argax, said the little monkey, lifting his motorboard. Pleased to meet you. And with whom have I the pleasure? My name is Bastian Balthazar Bucks. Just as I thought, said the monkey, visibly pleased. And what is the name of this city? Bastian inquired. It actually hasn't got a name, said Argax. But one might, in a manner of speaking, call it the city of the old emperors. Old emperors? Bastian repeated with consternation. Why, I don't see anybody who looks like an old emperor. You don't? said the monkey with a giggle. Well, believe it or not, all the people you've seen were emperors of Fantastica in their time, or wanted to be. How do you know that, Argax? The monkey lifted his motorboard and grinned. I, in a manner of speaking, am the superintendent here. What's wrong with them? Bastian asked. Why are they so odd? Nothing odd about them, said Argax. They're just like you, in a manner of speaking, or rather, they were in their time. Bastian stopped in his tracks. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that they're humans? Argax jumped up and down on Bastian's shoulder. Exactly, he said gleefully. Bastian saw a woman in the middle of the street trying to spear peas with a darning needle. How did they get here? What are they doing here? Oh, there have always been humans who couldn't find their way back to their world, Argax explained. First, they didn't want to, and now, in a manner of speaking, they can't. Bastian looked at the little girl who was struggling to push a doll's carriage with square wheels. Why can't they? he asked. 
they'd have to wish it. And they stopped wishing. They used up their last wish for something else. Their last wish? Said Bastian, going deathly pale. So that's an excerpt from the City of Old Emperors, which is where Bastian learns he's been losing his memory and that he's got a limited number of wishes. Hmm. Why do you want to read that? I just think it's a really cool scene, uh, and I think it's the tipping point in Bastian's story. Yeah, which is cool because it's so close to the end of the book, and up until that point, he's been quite careless and reckless with his wishes like a child would be because he hasn't learned what the consequences or repercussions of his desires will be. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, it's the beginning of the end of Bastian's story. Yeah, absolutely. What a beautiful way to say that. Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed doing this bit, bit of words in fucking English. I really enjoyed doing this book this week as well. Um, as always, the m- movies are a little bit disappointing from what we wish they would be considering our imaginations, but it's a beautiful beautiful novel, written really well, and something that I would recommend to anyone who hasn't read it already. I hope we've sold it to you, if you haven't uh, already. Uh, this has been Chapter 1, Take 2. Thank you for listening, and as always, uh, like, subscribe, review wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you want to tell them what we're doing next week? Get them all psyched. Yeah. Yeah. So? <laughs> That's a drum roll. It's it, a bad drum roll. It is a drum roll. Next week, actually, I have drumsticks. We should just use them. <laughs> next week, we'll be doing Beautiful Creatures, uh, which was written in 2013. Yep, and it's by Cami Garcia and Margaret Stoll. It'll be our first book written with the two authors. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. So tune in uh, to then. I've been Maddie. Until then, I've been Brie. Before then, I wasn't Brie. <laughs> tune in is the wrong phrase as well, isn't it? Come back next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You're beautiful. Bye. 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 You're beautiful, baby. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs>